Welcome to the August 26, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we will review a study that proposes interferon lambda therapy as a novel strategy to boost gut protection in GVHD. Examine the immunomodulatory effects of dicetabine in ITP and learn about the discovery of TET2 mutations in chronic natural killer large granular lymphocyte leukemia. Our first topic is a study entitled Interferon Lambda Therapy Prevents Severe Gastrointestinal Graft versus Host Disease by Andrea Hendon from the QIMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute in Brisbane, Australia, and colleagues. Allogeneic bone marrow, or stem cell transplantation, termed BMT, offers cure to patients with high-risk hematological malignancies. Despite ongoing therapeutic advances, BMT remains limited by transplant-related complications, including GVHD. Therapies that prevent GVHD while preserving the graft-versus-leukemia effect and pathogen-specific immunity remain a clinical imperative. The gastrointestinal mucosal barrier is a key target of GVHD and a protective interface between the luminal microbiota and immune cells that drive lethal acute GVHD. The manipulation of targets preferentially active at this interface constitutes a rational therapeutic strategy that avoids potential harmful effects from broad immune suppression. Interferons have mixed roles in the GI tract. Type 2 interferons are directly pathogenic, but type 1 interferons can be protective. Type 3 interferons, or lambda interferons, are increasingly recognized as important in controlling immune responses at mucosal surfaces. In humans, this family consists of four members, interferon lambda 1, 2, and 3, also known as IL-29, IL-28A, and IL-28B, respectively, and interferon lambda 4. These all bind to the interferon-lambda receptor complex, whose expression is largely restricted to mucosal epithelium. In this study, the authors sought to identify interferon-lambda as a key protector of GVHD immunopathology in the GI tract, notably within the intestinal stem cell compartment. They utilized several mouse models of allogeneic BMT and mice with gene knockout of the interferon-lambda receptor. These knockout mice displayed exaggerated gut GVHD and mortality following BMT that was independent of paneth cells and alterations to microbiome. Additional experiments show that interferon-lambda receptors signaling in recipient intestinal stem cells and natural killer cells was important for protection from GVHD. In vitro growth of intestinal organoids lacking the interferon-lambda receptor was significantly impaired implicating interferon-lambda in maintenance and proliferation of GI epithelia and intestinal stem cells. Interferon-lambda receptor signaling was also shown to promote survival of natural killer cells following irradiation for BMT. NK cells were important for slowing the initial rate of T-cell engraftment and consequent inflammatory cytokine generation that otherwise promotes GVHD. This research team next tested the therapeutic efficacy of pegylated IL-29, a recombinant form of interferon-lambda, 
Treatment of naive mice with this agent enhanced gut intestinal stem cell numbers and organoid growth and modulated proliferative and apoptosis gene sets in intestinal stem cells. In mice undergoing allogeneic BMT, pegylated IL-29 treatment improved survival, reduced GVHD severity, and enhanced epithelial proliferation and intestinal organoid growth after BMT. The preservation of intestinal stem cell numbers in response to pegylated IL-29 after BMT occurred both in the presence and absence of interferon-lambda signaling in recipient NK cells. Importantly, treatment did not influence growth of co-transplanted AML cells. Hendon and colleagues conclude that interferon-lambda receptor signaling protects against lethal acute gastrointestinal GVHD in mice, with dual roles in hematopoietic and non-hematopoietic cells. They suggest their data provides a strong foundation for the therapeutic exploitation of interferon-lambda-mediated protection of the gut epithelium in allogeneic BMT that avoids off-target effects on leukemia and pathogen-specific immunity. Tobias Wertheimer and Sonia Tugas from University of Zurich in Switzerland provide accompanying commentary on the manuscript entitled Paving the Road Towards Tissue Protection in GVHD. They point out that administration of interferon lambda early after allo-BMT, as proposed by Hendon and colleagues, is a novel strategy to boost tissue protection instead of focusing exclusively on allo-reactive immune cells. They concur the study provides compelling evidence that interferon lambda limits intestinal stem cell loss to preserve mucosal barrier function in GVHD. Additionally, results show that treatment with interferon lambda does not impair beneficial alloreactive immune responses mediating graft versus leukemia. Wertheimer and Tugis further note that use of interferon lambda for acute GVHD appears to be easily translatable to clinical applications since a pegylated form of interferon lambda is already being used in a phase 3 clinical trial for hepatitis C infection. They conclude that, collectively, the study addresses the unmet challenge of tissue protection and repair in patients undergoing allo-BMT. Additionally, the findings may impact other disorders with GI mucosal tissue damage. Next, we will discuss a study entitled Low-Dose Decetabine Modulates T-Cell Homeostasis and Restores Immune Tolerance in Immune Thrombocytopenia by Pan Pan Han, Yu Hu, and colleagues from Shandong University in Jinan, China. Immune thrombocytopenia, or ITP, is an acquired autoimmune disease characterized by increased platelet destruction and impaired platelet production. Loss of immune tolerance is pivotal to the pathogenesis of ITP. CD4 positive, CD25 positive, FOXP3 positive regulatory T cells, or Treg cells, play an essential role in the maintenance of self-tolerance. Their quantity and function are impaired in ITP patients, which contributes to the excessive proliferation and activation of CD4 positive helper T cells, specifically Th1 and Th17 cells. This imbalance of CD4-positive helper T-cells is further evidenced in the development of ITP, along with the unrestricted activation of CD8-positive cytotoxic T-cells and the production of antiplatelet autoantibodies. Restoring immune tolerance in ITP patients by reversing the impairment of Treg cells 
and suppressing the expansion of Th1 and Th17 cells was demonstrated to be an important mechanism for currently utilized ITP therapies. Dicetabine is a hypomethylating agent that promotes cell differentiation at low doses and is used to treat myelodysplastic syndrome, or MDS, where it often achieves a relatively high platelet response. Dicetabine also induces a murine megokaryoblastic cell line to differentiate into megokaryocyte-like cells in vitro and to increase platelet release in mice. Previous studies conducted by the authors showed that low-dose dicetabine promoted human megokaryocyte maturation and platelet production in vitro, and showed long-term clinical efficacy in a prospective study in adults with refractory ITP. However, the efficacy of dicetabine in this study could not be explained simply by its role in promoting platelet production. Interestingly, other reports showed that hypomethylating agents could decrease the production of interferon gamma and tumor necrosis factor alpha while increasing the number of immunosuppressive Treg cells. Here, the study authors explored the immunomodulatory potential of dicetabine in ITP with a focus on Tregs. They studied adults with ITP and a murine model of active ITP. For in vitro studies on human samples, they enrolled 40 ITP patients 22 females and 18 males, ranging in age from 19 to 75 years, with a median of 45 years of age, in addition to age and sex-matched healthy volunteers. For in vivo studies, 32 ITP patients, 19 females and 13 males, age ranging from 17 to 75 years, with a median age of 52 years, were enrolled and received dicetabine. Using in vitro culture of peripheral blood mononuclear cells, they found that low-dose dicetabine promoted the generation and differentiation of Treg cells and augmented their immunosuppressive capacity. For ITP patients who received low-dose dicetabine, the quantity and function of Treg cells were substantially improved, whereas Th1 and Th17 cells were suppressed compared to pretreatment levels. Next-generation RNA sequencing and cytokine analysis performed in sequential peripheral blood samples from ITP patients showed that low-dose dicetabine rebalanced T-cell homeostasis, decreased pro-inflammatory cytokines, and downregulated phosphorylated STAT3. STAT3 inhibition analysis suggested that low-dose dicetabine might restore Treg cells by inhibiting STAT3 activation. To establish a mouse model of active ITP, splenocytes from CD61 knockout mice, immunized with CD61-positive platelets, were transferred into severe combined immunodeficient mouse recipients. Low-dose dicetabine alleviated thrombocytopenia in mice with active ITP, accompanied by an increase in splenic Treg cells and reduction of Th1 and Th17 cells. Moreover, Treg deletion and depletion offset the effect of dicetabine in restoring CD4-positive T-cell subpopulations in ITP mice. In summary, low-dose dicetabine increased the production of Treg cells and enhanced their immunosuppressive function in ITP in vitro and in vivo to rebalance CD4-positive T-cell subsets. The study data suggest that the immunomodulatory effect of dicetabine provided one possible mechanistic explanation for the sustained response achieved by low-dose dicetabine in adult ITP patients. In their commentary, John Semple from Lund University in Sweden and Rick Kapoor from Sanguine Research in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, contend the study provides important insights into the mechanism of low-dose dicetabine in ITP. 
Han and colleagues demonstrate that low-dose decetabine restores immune tolerance in ITP by reversing Treg impairment through inhibition of STAT3 and by suppressing Th1 and Th17 cells. Further research is needed to validate the findings, including clinical trials, to establish the value of low-dose decetabine in the treatment of ITP. Our final manuscript today is entitled Frequent Somatic TET2 Mutations in Chronic NKLGL Leukemia with Distinct Patterns of Cytopenias by Thomas Olson from University of Virginia School of Medicine in Charlottesville, Virginia, and colleagues. Chronic natural killer large granular lymphocyte leukemia, or NKLGL, also referred to as lymphoproliferative disorder of NK cells, is a rare disorder defined by prolonged expansion of clonal NK cells. The clinical presentation of persistent killer cell expansion and associated symptoms, such as cytopenias, are shared with chronic T-cell LGL leukemia. The seminal discovery of STAT3 mutations in chronic T-LGL leukemia and subsequent similar findings in chronic NK-LGL leukemia suggest a common pathogenesis. However, work in chronic NK-LGL leukemia has been biased in that discovery studies are often performed in predominantly T-LGL leukemia cohorts. Multiple correlations have been observed between STAT3 mutations and clinical behavior in chronic TLGL leukemia, including the association of STAT3 mutations with neutropenia. Recently, associations between STAT3 mutations and cytopenias have also been reported in small numbers of chronic NKLGL leukemia patients. Here, the authors report results from a chronic NKLGL mutation discovery cohort and clinical correlations from 57 patients, a number that exceeds the combined patient numbers of the prior, smaller studies. This retrospective study was conducted under protocols from the LGL Leukemia Registry at University of Virginia, and patients enrolled met one or more criteria for a diagnosis of NKLGL leukemia. The team initially performed whole genome sequencing of peripheral blood mononuclear cells and saliva of seven index patients. Focusing on the most relevant candidate genes, they validated and extended their findings by targeted resequencing in 51 additional samples. PI3 kinase pathway gene mutations and TNFAIP3 mutations were seen in 5% and 10% of patients, respectively. However, TET2 was exceptional in that mutations were present in 15 of 58, or 28%, of patient samples, with evidence that TET2 mutations can be dominant and exclusive to the NK compartment. Reduced representation by sulfite sequencing demonstrated nearly five times more differentially methylated regions in TET2-mutated samples than those without TET2 mutations, demonstrating a consequence of dysfunctional TET2. Hypermethylation of the promoters of TET2 and PTPRD, a negative regulator of STAT3, was found in additional cohort samples, largely confined to the TET2 mutant group. Mutations in STAT3 were observed in 19 of 58, or 33% of patient samples, seven of which had concurrent TET2 mutations. The authors also examined the clinical correlations of these genetic lesions. Thrombocytopenia and resistance to immunosuppressive agents were uniquely observed in those patients with only a TET2 mutation. Patients with STAT3 mutations, including those with TET2 co-mutation, had lower hematocrit, 
hemoglobin, and absolute neutrophil count compared to STAT3 wild-type patients. The co-mutated subgroup also showed the best response to cyclophosphamide. In conclusion, this study identified mutant TET2 as a new, major target in chronic NKLGL leukemia. In one of the largest molecular profiling studies of this disease to date, TET2 mutations were present in 28% of chronic NKLGL leukemia, and TET2 promoter methylation was also detected. TET2 and STAT3, mutated singly or co-mutated, were associated with distinct patterns of cytopenias, as well as response to immunosuppressives. Olson and colleagues noted that while treatment indications and response to therapy were evaluated rigorously, these intriguing findings should be considered preliminary until validated in prospective studies. Marco Herling and Linus von Schaffe from University of Cologne in Germany further suggest the report contributes important new insights into the molecular landscape of NKLGL leukemia. A frequent occurrence of defective TET2 variants was independently reported very recently in another large study of NKLGL leukemia by Pastoret et al., also published in Blood, which found these variants in 34% of patients. Herling and von Schaffe note that Olson and colleagues additionally provided the first glimpse into the functional relevance of defective TET2. The altered global and STAT regulator-associated methylation among NKLGL leukemias, especially in TET2-mutated patients, implicate dysfunctional TET2 as a primer of reprogrammed gene expression. This may provide a rationale for epigenetic or gene-specific targeting as therapeutic approaches. Fittingly, demethylating agents and HDAC inhibition have shown promising results in the first in vitro studies. Future studies are needed to evaluate if assessing TET2 mutation status can be incorporated into the clinical decision-making process and if the presence of such mutations justifies specific treatment strategies. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.